We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And in yesterday's pod, in the last segment, we did a preview on the Warriors-Dallas series. And I find myself being annoyed with myself because I keep trying to think, you know, how is how is the series going to go? What are the specific matchups? And everything I came up with was pretty pro-Dallas slash anti-Golden State, right? And... I, I even said on the pod, I'm like, watch, they're going to go and kick their asses tonight, right? And sure enough, that's what happened. Golden State beat the crap out of Dallas yesterday. And I think in seeing it in action on the court, D, I was like, oh, okay, there's this and there's that and there's this. And I'd like to talk about that. And I'd like to start on the defensive end. It was something where I was like, hey, Luca's got a lot of guys that he's able to pick on and isolate one-on-one now he had a bit of a right shoulder issue that who knows to what degree that was impacting him but the very first play of the game they end up getting a switch where Kavon Looney is matched up with Luca on the left wing left slot type of area and the way that Looney guarded him now we talk so much on this pod about are you gonna drop are you gonna trap are you gonna switch everything but the league is always having a conversation with itself. And the way that the switching era really started in earnest in my mind was the 2015 Warriors team. And the reason I bring that up as context is I want to start talking more about like what happens after you switch. And that's the conversation that's going on in the league more and more is, okay, you've switched, but then there's a strategy to employ after that. And what the Warriors did was, on that particular play, for example, is Looney is shading Luca to send him to drive to the basket. So Looney is pressed up on him and he's leaning and he's in the, uh, the type of defensive position that you would be if you were going to ice a side ball screen. So his toes are facing the sideline and he's giving a very clear driving lane to Luca drive to the basket on a slot drive. So going to his left, to Luca's left. And they did that a lot throughout the game, and they'd send low man help, and they forced him into seven turnovers in that game. And so 
on the defensive end, we don't talk about the Warriors as a really good defensive team all that often, but they are. They're one of the best ball pressure teams in the league. They're one of the best defenses in the league. And Mike and I talked about this when the Lakers visited the Warriors when like, oh, they had actually fallen off offensively during the stretches where like guys were hurt, especially with Draymond. But there was this sort of like, well, how are they still so good on defense? And it's because guess what? They've got guys that actually compete defensively. But back to you, please. Well, no, that's that's part of it. But they've also been in the same system, too, for years and years and years. And I think that they have an understanding of everything that they run and execute. They've done so many times. Like, how long has Looney been there? And and they've got so many guys that fit that description. And then even a guy like Andrew Wiggins, I think, provides a certain amount of uh, like he's the best athlete in this series of either team like one through three one through four on either team so there's just it was yeah mike it was interesting to see the different elements pause on that that talk right there though about the athlete because that was my sense of regret in the first quarter and i'm thinking oh wait this is why like why do you forget this mike and pete memphis is this crazy athletic big team there's a bad matchup for golden state so we just and i i had said we get we become victims of watching what happened in the previous two rounds right yep yep and and so right away, all of a sudden, Golden State's stuff is just working better on offense. And on defense, they're not having the same kind of problems that they had um, with Memphis at times because they're not being overwhelmed physically, which is what. So now I right away that I kind of changed it, changed the program in my head that it picked Dallas. And, and I wanted I wanted to hash that out with you guys. But that was something that I noticed in the first couple minutes. So I listened to you guys talk yesterday and Jeannie tweeted out the link as she always does right and it's just like here's the pod and and i i had listened to the pod yesterday and i was just like oh man i wish i was on this pod because <laughs> both of you i thought were very good and smart about highlighting all of the things that dallas does well and all of the ways that dallas could and likely over the course of the series will sort of chip away and cause problems for the warriors but And going back to a lot of our conversations about the Warriors this season, one of the reasons why we collectively, and and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Pete, and and so correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the things that I think you've been skeptical on uh, on about the Warriors and why you actually thought the Lakers were potentially like a problematic matchup for the Warriors is that the Warriors are susceptible to athletic big size, right? And they are, and we saw that against Memphis. We saw it in the matchups against the Lakers. And we thought that if they like were to get to the finals and maybe play against Boston or play against a team like Milwaukee, like that those would, those are issues that would pop up for them. Well, that is not Dallas. No. Luca is an overwhelming offensive player and he can bludgeon you as like a big wing. But he is much more of a Jokic type of like, all right, like I play at a pace and with a style and with uh, on some levels a flair and an understanding of technical aspects of the game that combined with my overall size relative to my position Mm -hmm. and my fundamentals, like I'm just better than all of you. I'm just better. And so it doesn't matter what you try to do to me. I'm going to problem solve you in a way. Well, that's a much different equation than it is like, all right, well, guess what? 
I'm 6'10", I'm 260 pounds, and I run like the wind, and I can just jump over you. And it's just like, well, shit. Like, how do you deal with that when you're, when all your guys on Golden State are 6'8"? All your best players, right? And, and Yeah, so, there's only so much craft can help you with in those circumstances. And so I thought defensively, in order to get back to what, like, you were talking about, Pete, that some of the stuff that the Warriors were doing was just like, all right, like, never the same look. And we're always doing, we're, it's always a little tweak here or a little tweak there. And we're going to match your craft with our craft. And we're going to see if we can get a win. So the only thing that, that I do want to, because all of that is great insight. And it would have been nice to have to sort of check some of what Pete and I were saying yeah. yesterday going in. But I don't think we were wrong either. Right. You're not. And, and so it's kind of both things. So what what it's what I've done is sort of. This was a good reminder of where Golden State can be, but it's also a good reminder that Dallas just, they were the team that played the seven-game series. You know, Golden State was done in six. They sort of, they had to really figure out what Phoenix was doing, and they did. It took them a little while. And then once they did, and Luka especially, and this is where Luka reminds me of LeBron some, once Luka figured out all of Phoenix's moves, you know, then it was it was basically a wrap. And so I don't, I don't think that he can, I think Golden State... They wanted to play Phoenix, and this is something that I had said a, a few weeks ago, I think, like late in the regular season. They liked that matchup with Phoenix. They did not like the matchup with Memphis, and we just saw why. And I think Dallas fits more into that Phoenix type of matchup for them where where they do feel confident against Dallas. But I think that Dallas is going to get a lot better. And the pivotal game for me, well, I was going to say it was going to be game two, but of course they lost game two to Phoenix and then found a way to win their two home games. But I do think that it'll be different in game two. So, uh, Pete, let me kick that to you. What do you ex- how do you expect Dallas will adjust and potentially improve on what happened in game one? Yeah, I think it starts on the defensive end. Offensively, I thought they got a good lot of good looks that they just missed. They just missed a lot of open threes. Bullock was especially bad. Um, but they got clean looks that over the course of a seven-game series, if they can get those regularly, their offense should be okay. I do think that Luka will have to find like different ways to attack attack mismatches and that whole like we're going to sit on your right shoulder and make you go left and they got some turnovers from the deflections that come from him trying to throw a skip pass across his body and then it's Wiggins throwing a hand up there right and and all that um but uh on the defensive end it's it's so funny seeing coaches coaches will always especially in game one or usually default to kind of the thing that they want to do and then if the other team takes them out of that like make the other team send you toward plan b and kid is a coach and this goes back to his milwaukee days that loves to put two on the ball he loves to trap ball handlers and guys like steph and jordan Poole, clay thompson coming off of screens that's not an unusual coverage for them over the course of their careers either but one of the things that dallas does well and this is one of the things i look for in a series is like what you were talking about before the, I think it was before we started recording D where you were talking about Minnesota and uh, the Memphis matchup where they're like, Oh, you want to play fast? You want to play fast? We also like, let's go, let's have this athletic type of series with Dallas and golden state. Dallas likes to trap and scramble because if you trap, you create a four on three elsewhere. Well, those four on threes, man, that's Draymond green. That's clay. All those guys that is, they've been doing that for years. It is central to how they work. 
And so the matchup that I see, see uh, Mike, and the, the adjustment that I see is staying home a little bit more and not putting two on the ball. That said, though, there were also we talked so much about the matchups on the other end. Let's take a quick break. I want to get into the Golden, the favorable matchups that Golden State has in that type of environment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So one of the players this season that I've come to be really wowed by is Jordan Poole. That guy's got shots upon shots upon shots and footwork, and he is uh, just an incredible scorer. And there were a couple of times where it was like Jordan Poole versus Davis Bertans in space. It was like, oh yeah, that's bad. <laughs> you know, like that's not something that's going to work out for you too much. And then you maybe you do have to put two two on the ball, or maybe you have to incorporate that type of strategy where we're going to play up on you and shade a certain direction. And the reason you do that as a coach. You say Kavon Looney can't guard Luka or Bertans can't guard Jordan Poole. That's fine, but I'm, at least I'm going to dictate the direction that you go in, or I'm not going to give you the option to shoot the step back, which I think is why they sh- they sit on Luka's right shoulder. Is We want to take away the thing that you like to do. We know you're going to beat him, but we're at least going to dictate the terms of how you get beaten. One of the things I love about Poole is he's got so much shake to his game that he can kind of break that down. But that was one of the things, D, where looking at it on the other end, and then a guy like Andrew Wiggins has that over the top advantage that he was really, you know, he was just going over the top of a rotating Brunson or Dinwiddie or someone like that, that they're not going to be able to stop that. So that was something on the offensive end that I'm curious how Dallas, how they find that balance between putting two on the ball and creating those four on threes versus just surrendering obvious mismatches one on one. The Warriors put you in tricky situations because they leverage their shooting. The interesting thing is, is what you need to beat the Warriors is a big man who can play at the point of attack and then still recover back to the paint in order to make and be a secondary helper out of four on three situations. And that player is super rare. The Lakers have one. In fact, they have two in Mm -hmm. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The Bucs have one in Giannis. The question is, is do the Mavs have one? And if they don't, it's going to be trouble. Because what I saw is a lot of, oh shit, here's Steph Curry and 
here's Jordan Poole, and to a lesser extent, here's Clay Thompson. They're coming off of dribble handoffs or or pin downs. And the inclination to that is the big has to get out. He has to get out. You don't even want those guys to catch the ball, right? Because then they're catching the ball with momentum. And then it's just like, okay, well, now they are so – all of those players are so adept at selling a hard dribble and then stopping. And it's just like, yeah, the big guy is not adept at playing that in a way where they can stay connected. So you want to show in order to deny. And so then the ball, once they get the ball, they see that, oh, I've got two on me, pocket pocket pass. But that four on three isn't even always the four on three that they're looking for. It is the secondary pass and then boom, and then that dude is driving. And now he's driving into space and the help isn't quite there. And what ended up happening was a lot of dump off passes at, at the basket. Where it's just like, okay, now this is a layup. And that's what's always made the Warriors great. It's it's not that they shoot the three so well. Yes, of course, obviously. It's that they get so many layups for a team that supposedly is built on shooting three well, three pointers. And and it is this, it 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 is this smoke and mirrors. It's like like it's this like illusion. They are misdirecting you in ways where it's like, okay, well, yeah, cover the line, cover the arc, close out, close out, close out. And it's like, nope, we're getting a layup. And so what I'm interested, what I'm most interested, Pete, is not just the idea that like, oh, Davis Pertans can't hold up in isolation against Jordan Poole or Jalen Brunson is going to have issues or Dinwiddie is going to have issues if they get isolated against Andrew Wiggins at times because he's just a superior athlete. It's, are your bigs good enough to play out to 30 feet, back to 15 feet, and then down to two feet, and then potentially all the way back out to 20 feet again in order to, and staying connected and keeping your defensive integrity because you need bigs that can do that, not just guards against the Warriors. And that's the chess match that I see with Jason Kidd is how do we skew aggressive in the ways we want to skew aggressive while still maintaining our defensive integrity against a team that wants to spread you out and stretch you thin. And I'm trying to think about the inverse of that as well, as Kevon Looney plays 28 minutes and is pretty effective. He's getting dump off passes mm-hmm. at the rim and finishing. Mm-hmm. He's rebounding. He actually makes a couple of nice plays to get cutters layups a couple of blocks you know he's just uh he's better than Kevon Looney used to be when he would be on the court a little bit and be like all right well when do we get into the Draymond lineup you know at the five like this guy this guy needs to get on the bench and I'm just curious if Dallas because the other part of this though the flip side is that Dallas did as Pete referenced get a ton of open threes early now how much of that was because of Looney and yep getting out there in the perimeter and, and missing some of those rotations. And then, well, if you put Jordan Poole in and you put him in earlier because you're get, let's say Dallas is hitting all those threes, right? And all of a sudden they're up nine. And then it's like, well, okay, well, Jordan Poole's in. And then Luca is thinking, okay, well, so Kevon Looney then is going to be playing maybe 15 minutes instead of 28, which means that I can just attack more. And there's more guys that I can attack against. And so the game flow really went exactly according to what was going to benefit Golden State. And I'm curious how... Looney, who, who, again, I think is better now, but how all of that factors as, as the series goes on and we get to those kind of 
game four, game five, game six, who can really be in the floor in this matchup. And, and I'm excited to see how that plays out. I love that you brought up Looney because I think he's a key player in this series, but Dallas will need to continue to, to miss those shots. But having that defensive presence, D, I think you pointed out, uh, that, Looney did a decent job on Luca in single coverage as yeah. well. And it's not something that like you necessarily want to leave him in space all, all the time against Luca, but there, it takes a certain amount of discipline to, for a big to be out on the perimeter. And that's actually one of the, it's so funny. This came up organically. This is what I want to talk about with respect to the Lakers roster in the last segment is the big man position and how you guard the perimeter and, and whatnot. So like, talk to me a little bit about Looney's not the fleetest of foot type of guy. And maybe if it was a faster player than Luca that he was across from, it would be just too much for him. And that is a 12 minute game instead of a 20 minute, 28 minute game for him. But like, talk to, talk to me about what you've seen in Looney. Cause I think Mike's spot on that. He's a, a key player in this series. Looney is reminds me of like Kyle Anderson in the way that he moves. Right. So there is like that slow-mo aspect to his game. And a lot of times when you're a player like Luca, who depends on change of pace and change of direction and then power, you can get smaller players into your body and then you just discard them, which he does so often. And then you get bigger players shuffling their feet in ways because they're trying to play faster in order to account for the fact that you're smaller. And so Luca uses brilliant change of direction against all of these big guys and he just crosses them up and then he creates space and then he then uses masterful footwork to like step through and go up and under. Looney is so slow and he's so disciplined and understands his limitations as a player that he's not going for a ton of fakes. He keeps his distance. He understands. He's like the perfect like boxer who's like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you with my jab. Right? Like, like, yeah, guess what? I'm going to keep you at the appropriate distance for me. This is my distance for you. Right. And, yeah. and that means that I'm going to be able to contest. And it means that I'm going to be able to slide enough so that I'm never fully beat it and when he does get beat then he's beat it's just like guess what guys get beat but that's the thing i'm seeing with well with looney mike is is his ability to sort of just stay solid and not get freaked out by the idea that this is luka Doncic in front of me like i'm just gonna stay in front i'm gonna keep my distance and if you shoot the step back you shoot the step back but what you're not going to do is cross me up get 15 feet of separation, force a bunch of help, and now everyone is open. Because that's how Luca kills you. It's like, I've got 40 and I've got 10 assists. And it's because he discombobulates you. But Looney's just sort of like, oh, God, I'm just going to keep my distance and play it straight up. And you're not going to fake me out of my shoes because guess what? Like by the time you fake and come back, I'm still here. You know why? Because I didn't move in the first place because I'm slow. And, and that's sort of like how yeah. it works for a guy like him. So I was watching my kid's soccer practice the other day, and it made me what you just said about Looney and Luca completely ties in here because so they're seven and in, they're they're working on defending and one on one defending. And it's so hard, especially for a kid to fight the instinct when, when they see the ball and somebody's coming at them to just go straight for the ball. And so we're trying to teach them that that discipline of, OK, Go for the ball, but then sometimes you have to back off a step 
right? Because if that player is any good and the players are starting to get better and better, they're just going to one cut you, boom, gone. And, and so whereas now Luca or LeBron are complete masters of this, where they've got 15 different variations of things they can do with their body. But still, ultimately, like you, you, you have to understand that just basic principle of what you're trying to protect. And the more space that you have for a guy like that, the easier it is for the offensive player. And when it's like when it's shrunk down, but you have to as the defensive player, you have to know that. And, and you're so right. And that so many players just sort of don't get it. And maybe they'll go for the steal or they just won't even be that engaged in general. And and it's yeah, it's it's just a it's a fascinating little subset of the game that Luca's always going to find a way to do. But but I agree. Looney's been doing a nice job so far. And one of the ways that I thought the Warriors helped him, whether it was matched up against Looney or or otherwise, is they sent second guys late at Luca on a bunch of possessions where it wasn't like they trapped him on a pick and roll or they trapped him right away on the perimeter. They let him get kind of below the decision zone. And the decision zone is about 15 feet away from the basket, whether it's the free throw line or if you're on the sidelines, kind of halfway between the lane line and, and the three point line. And that once you get below that, your passing angles are not as good. So you don't get as burned as you normally do when you double team somebody in that situation, D. So that's something that uh, like that was just one last quick point I wanted to make about uh, the Warriors defense is that like when they were sending help was a little bit different. And it kind of goes to that whole like they've been switching since 2015. Yeah. And they're not just like, oh, switch and play one on one. We don't have a plan after that. Like every little detail, every little like I was so impressed by the the attention to detail in uh, in their scheme. And I, I know you, you've noticed something else as well. Yeah, the last thing I was going to say about the Warriors defense is that we often talk about three-level offensive players, right? Like a three, like you're a three-level scorer. We, I can shoot the three and get to the rim and shoot in the mid-range. The Warriors have a three-level defense. And against mm. Luka, they were playing at all three levels. They were pressuring at the point of attack. Yeah. They were bringing mid-range help in awkward times and in awkward moments. They they even played some zone in order to show him a second defender early. They played some, some box and one. And then at the basket, Draymond and Looney always seemed to be lurking if Luka had someone else on him. And that sort of instinct that those two have and Draymond especially as a brilliant defender we haven't even mentioned his name once but just his understanding of where to be and how to rotate it gave Luca and Dallas problems and solving that is number one I think on Jason Kidd's agenda going into game two totally agree it should be fun I think this is a series that's going to develop in certain ways uh, throughout so let's take a, a quick break when we come back let's talk about how some of this applies to the Lakers So a few days ago, Caitlin Cooper, great writer, great X's and O's mind, who writes for Indy Cornroach, who covers the Indiana Pacers, she tweeted out that uh, of all of the teams left in the playoffs, the only player above 6'10", who is still in a, in playing starters minutes, 25 minutes or more, was Maxi Kleba. Now, this was when Robert Williams was out. And so the, that stat is for over the course of the playoffs. No true big remaining in the playoffs is playing starters minutes. Now, Robert Williams may or may not, had he been healthy, have played that. But I think it speaks to a broader point of that's very germane to the Lakers. For one, I can't help but watch these series and be like, Anthony Davis would be such a problem for every single team left. And now that could be true of 
any team, but there are several teams where it's like, oh, if you just have a big athletic guy, we saw that with the honest, right? They just didn't have enough everywhere else uh, in, in, in Milwaukee's case. But it speaks to the point, even a guy like Klebo, who isn't really a traditional big, that you, as you get to the higher levels of ba- levels of basketball, the ability to defend the perimeter just capably on some level becomes non-optional. Um, and so I think, D, you always talk about that player that we put between LeBron and Anthony Davis and who that player is. Now, in the title run, it was a big man. It was JaVale McGee. It was that type of guy. Now, he did not play as we got deeper into the playoffs. Even a guy like Dwight. He played in the uh, Denver series because of Jokic, but was barely a factor in the Miami series. That's something that I think always ends up coming out, the ability to defend the perimeter. So I'm just curious, take that wherever you want to go. But that's something I've been thinking of is as we move on is like that ability to close out and rotate to the three point line just becomes an essential part of basketball in ways that it might not be during the regular season. Yeah. And this is the beauty and in some ways, the curse of having it be Anthony Davis and LeBron James as your two best players, right? The beauty of that is they can be so malleable and so flexible that they are already two pieces of a puzzle that every team wants those pieces, right? Everyone's looking for those pieces, right? It's it's like freaking Thanos and the Infinity Stones. It's like we're building something here. You need to be able to cover this area of the floor, but you also need to not abandon the paint area because if you play too small, then you get the guys like LeBron and Giannis who are just like, yeah, well, guess what? I'm on the other on the other end. You like I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you're going to have now like, oh, you think you're going to spread us out. What happens when we spread you out? And now I get to the damn paint and you got no one down there to mess with me. And that's where LeBron and AD are so valuable. And so to me, Pete, to answer your question about like that player that slots between them and that potential big guy, that's where you take advantage of LeBron and AD's ability to shape shift and you get multiples of different types of dudes who fill in in order to allow Braun and AD to be the thing that you need on on any given possession. So if you need someone to guard Jokic, then you need big dudes in the pipeline to say these guys can defend these these big dudes. But when you want to switch back to the perimeter, you need a capable guy. Now, is that in some in, in some lineups that was Kyle Kuzma in other lineups it was Markeith Morris like but you need a dude who's 6'8 6'9 he has enough wheels to get out there because just like you said Pete defending the perimeter isn't going away and LeBron and AD are gonna be able to do it they're also gonna be able to defend the rim but you need that other forward because if you decide well we're gonna play three guard size dudes you lose too much On the interior and the ask becomes too big for LeBron and AD. And so I don't want to say it's simple because those guys are the hardest dudes to find. Those six, eight, six, nine dudes that are good on defense and can hit open three pointers. Like, yeah, guess what? Those guys make $20 million a year, right? But that's to me the formula, Mike. And it's what the Lakers should be looking for with their next big. It's like that versatility and it can't just be one guy. You need more than one guy. Well, first of all, I think that Pete Pete's dream of just not having bigs in the NBA 
and just no no big island league you know you think that's I, my dream no not really uh, i do think that you i think <laughs> that you enjoyed the certain way that you had to make your high school team play though and, yeah and, and that's sort of liked it but uh, you know i'm, you can I'm a laker fan i was raised on kareem abdul jabbar Freaking Shaquille O'Neal, then later Pow and Bynum, and now AD. How dare you, sir? We are a team of we are a, a, a league of big men. I just saw our, our our team last year, and I was like, oh, our big stink. We got to play small. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I'm th- okay. Let me try to let me try to describe it this way. I was in Toronto with the team, obviously not by myself, and I was talking to Stanley Johnson before the game, and of course, Stanley had previously played in Toronto and he was very effusive about the way that they were had been building their team and essentially without guards or like without PG or C like it was just all all somewhere in the middle there and of course they do have Fred VanVleet right and he is very much a traditional point guard in terms of size although he's pretty tough and gritty and therefore mm-hmm. can play above his weight in certain pockets but you know, it was just more of a discussion. It evolves into where is the league going ideally? And, you know, if you could clone five guys, like, could you just have, would you have five LeBron Jameses? Well, yeah, obviously. Well, how about Michael Jordan? Well, hold on. He's six, six instead of six, eight or nine, you know, is that, but six, nine is not quite seven feet. And so the seven footer can't move his feet quite like, so what is the perfect height and weight yeah. and size? And, and, you know, and we are kind of settling into, you know, like LeBron, basically, you know, or now Anthony Davis is different because he, his body just sort of kept growing, but the way that he moves and plays, right, is much more fluid. It's much more like a six, 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 seven guy. And, yes. and then he just have, and that's why he's so impossible because then his arms just go out another foot after, after that. And that's the type of freak type thing. And in watching like Chet, the lottery was the other night, Chet Holmgren. Okay. Well, man, it, this dude eventually is going to put on some weight. And then what do you, what do you do when it's another couple inches past what AD is? And so just where the game is going and, and how you teach it and philosophically and guards. And we just talked about Chris Paul the other day. Now we're talking about almost no traditional bigs being in there. Like it is different. It is different. And that doesn't mean that it can't change if you just get the right kind of freak. If there's another shack that comes into the league and then how does that become adjusted to but it's a fascinating point for the NBA right now yeah f- very much so and like I always say there's no inherent advantage to being smaller it's just usually that seven footer can't move their feet like that and that's why players like ad but also you see like a guy like bam bam moves like a wing especially defensively on the perimeter and he can do some things where he can press up on a jalen brown and then brown gets a step and no i'm going to recover that and block it and turn it into a wedgie like on a on a layup attempt on brown but like most guys that size can't do that so it's funny you brought that up mike because i want to say 1987 88 late 80s or something like that pat riley had a, a a phrase where he said in 25 30 years Everyone, every team's going to be five guys that are six, six foot nine. And I thought that's considering where things nope, actually did really? go. I swear to you, you remember this, right, D? I do. Isn't that crazy? I do. Pat, he said this in like late Pat 80s, maybe G, it was man. early 90s. Man, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, Pat really Pat knows Riley, what he, man. a lifetime basketball man that really understands the game on well, just different levels, man. And, the only and thing- so- I, I want I want you to keep talking. I just want to enter in the three point shot because that that does seem to be 
the thing that has changed some of this in terms of what where the bigs whereas before fine you great you can make shots from out there but they count as the same as they do inside and right. and that might be that's part of the difference in what we're talking about with these bigs and why if you can't really move your feet that much and i i just felt like i should have said that as i was as ranting about what the big men has turned into well so that's the that's the thing mike is like one thing that you've always pointed out that's always rung true to me is the idea that shooting is not that important. Like the, your ability to shoot is like it matters, right? And at some point you cross over a line where it becomes problematic. But you often, I think, correctly point out that the difference between a 41% shooter and a 37% shooter, like it's not that big of a thing. And you got to, but. The converse of that, which is also part of your argument, is that you have to be able to defend. And that's the thing about the three-point line that I think when we first started seeing guys and bigs start to operate more behind the three-point line and then we saw Golden State have success, the collective conscious of the NBA became like, oh, everybody's got to be able to shoot. But what I think the actual truth is, is that everybody's got to be able to guard the three-point line on the on the court. And that is the real distinction. And so that's why guys like Bam and AD, Robert Williams has some of this as well. Those guys who can be a presence in the paint, but also can absolutely defend out there. Those are the guys that in terms of like the future of bigs in the NBA and and with respect to the Lakers. Now, we don't have the, the tools, though, to like we have Vetman contracts and a uh, and an MLE. That said, though, I think that that type of player I would like to dedicate our best assets toward getting that type of player that is is big and can defend and close out to the three-point line. I think that's that player between LeBron and AD is the most important player that we can acquire to this roster. Yeah, and he needs to have size and he needs to have basketball IQ, right? Like there's so many ingredients to this and all of these factors matter. The thing is, though, is that whenever you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team, and I think Phoenix suffered from this especially, is you enable yourself to have multiple looks. Like, it's just what it is. Is LeBron a center? Is he a power forward? Is he a small forward? Is he a point guard? Yes. Yes. Is Anthony Davis a center? Is he a power forward? Is he a wing? Yes. Yes, especially when you think defensively. There's a saying around the NBA that you are what you can guard. Yeah, yes. And that's what's made LeBron James so wonderful over his career. It's like, yes, all the eye-popping numbers and he's going to break Kareem's scoring record and first dude with 10,000 of everything. But his ability to play defense and Anthony Davis's ability to play defense all over the court is what led them to a championship just two seasons ago. And the Lakers do need to get back to that idea of the dude who slots between them, who's going to be super important, needs to be able to play to a certain level, a baseline level between them and do all of those same things too. So it's just like, can you hang on a switch at least for long enough that the help behind you can recover to come help you? That's what the help is for. But you have to help me help you by holding up for mm -hmm. long enough. And and bringing it back to the first part of our conversation, that's what like the Warriors did yep. against Luka. Like they held up for just long enough that the help could come. And on the inverse, it's what Dallas did not do against a lot of the Warriors off ball actions and what happened after they got into four on threes where it was just like, yeah, you didn't hold up 
for long enough because now there's a dude at the rim like Looney or Draymond or someone else just getting a layup. And to use the holding up thing and applying it to LeBron, you know, he needs teammates to help hold him up through as he is the, now the 10th player in NBA history to play a 20th season, you know? So it's all the yes. more important there. That, and that's the part of the roster last year that I was always kind of barking about uh, in it. We can't, you just can't expect he does not have, nor should he have that level to sustain that type of defense that's needed with, with the way the teams play against the Lakers, right? If it were yes. a team that nobody played hard against, then it's fine. It's whatever. So that, uh, that player becomes all that much more important. And then, I think by the time the postseason comes, you've figured out the rest of those pieces and the rest of those guys. But if you don't have a couple of those anchor bigs and those anchor sort of big wing type guys, then you're just always going to be needing more from LeBron on that end than, than you should be able to expect. Yeah, along those lines, a thought that I had last night while watching the Golden State-Dallas game was I'd like to have a player in that spot that can have a good game while taking four shots in that game and because they impact other elements of it. And those guys tend to be like not as valued as the guys who can get you 20, 25 on a, on a regular basis. And so, yeah, like, just like a watching PJ these Tucker type. I mean, yeah, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it's, he's, he's exactly, yeah. you know, that's yeah, it. that, that type of guy, right. That, that you, mm-hmm, that can, that can, and, and can hit a standstill open three, right? Like just be able to do that. I don't need yeah. you to come Marquise, flying off handoffs like and Marquise, screens. It, yeah, a couple Keith. years ago, mm-hmm. you know, he slipped some, but like that, yes. I loved the way that he played in that context. Perfect example, right? Now you got to be able to move your feet better than I think Keith can now, but a couple of years ago, certainly, certainly could. So yeah, anyway, just these playoffs have been really informative. And I think that this serves as a long prologue for the Lakers off season and how we should be building our team going forward. So, all right, got a Boston, Miami tonight. We'll be back tomorrow, but until then, you've been listening to Lake. (laughs) Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.